Over the last four years, we've seen tempers flare, fueled by increasing political dissent, culminating in the events of January 6th at our capital. Thankfully, our overlords have already found a solution to this political strife. We're all aware of the damaging effects of social media on our psyche. In a brilliant experimental move by the U.S. government, the first steps have been taken in healing this nation in the form of the removal of conservative opinions from social media sites. Removing the constant provocation of social media has already shown an increase in almost all happiness metrics for right-wing circles. The stifling of access to outlets not monitored by the government has provided us an opportunity to have a more unified opinion in this country. With this being counted as such a resounding success to temper the frustrations of the right, it is expected for the political cathedral to next take similar actions against the soon-to-be disenfranchised progressives. These actions will help prevent soon dissent from the anti-state left when they inevitably realize that Joe Biden has appointed the Bush campaign for foreign affairs. It's time to heal as a nation, to build back better, to a time when we only had three news outlets, all centrally controlled by our government. After all, what is there to fight about if we all have the same opinion? Gentlemen, we're back again. It's time for Against the Mob podcast. It's me, Logan Carpenter, my good friend Matthew Billingsley here. And today we're going to start uh, off a little bit different. I have a quote that I haven't even told Matthew yet here that I want to kind of read and hopefully get his live reaction to it, see how he feels about it. Uh, and at the same time, maybe simulate that for you guys as listeners so that you can see how this makes you feel, see what uh, emotions it spurs up in, in you. And then I'll let you know the context of this quote. Uh, and overall, the arch of this is going to be kind of free speech centered, uh, what we are looking for in this nation, what we can expect moving forward, um, and uh, what our rights are to free speech. But with that, I'd like to read this quote to you guys. Uh, this quote goes as thus. These people are now just antagonistic and mad, and they're going to be mad at everything. You can't talk to them. My friends, <clears throat> excuse me, my friends all say the maids and the servants are even getting antagonistic. So what does that spur up in you, Matthew, when you hear that quote? Um, that's got to be, it's got to be related to either um, slavery in 1860s or the civil rights movement in uh, the early 1960s. I should have, should have played this experiment with somebody who was less of a history buff because you pretty much nailed it. I thought that was especially <laughs> interesting because I was looking for instances where uh, people were accused of inciting violence in the past, which nowadays would probably get you kicked off of social media and deplatformed. Right. This was actually a quote from Robert Kennedy to his brother, John F. Kennedy, just before uh, the March of Martin Luther King in 1963, uh, day before he gave the I have a dream speech. <laughs> so I wanted to bring this up just to kind of show you guys a little bit of, of what the dangers are that you have to understand. We have to stay consistent when it comes to free speech, that we have to apply it across the board, no matter what somebody's political ideas are, even if you think they have absolutely abhorrent ideas, the moment that you say, hey, that's inciting violence for somebody to say when Donald Trump says we're going to keep fighting and then people storm the Capitol and hey, that's inciting violence. We have to remove everybody who had that opinion. Just realize that these same things were said in 1963 about Martin Luther King. I thought that was especially prudent being that we just passed Martin Luther King Day uh, and, and we just need to, to understand that these sweeping government rules, they get used to protect the government. They don't get used for the intent that you had when you placed these rules in, into bills and laws, but rather whatever suits the needs of the state in that moment, they're more than happy to use these overarching rules to stifle opinions that they don't like. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and it is great to keep in mind that um, so often 
the best intentions we make ourselves with the best intentions, we make ourselves useful idiots for these greater policy changes that in the end don't benefit anybody. Right. So, and I understand that. Um, and then, I mean, we can talk about, uh, we can kind of go wherever you'd like to with this. Um, I can say that like, okay, Trump got his Twitter banned. I, um, never really liked Trump having a Twitter um, this entire time, right? Not not because of uh, I wanted him to be deplatformed. I just think it's a really bad way to try to, um, you know, creating policy by tweet. Um, didn't really like that as a, just as a, as a as a policy across the board. Not anything that he uh, tweeted in particular really, you know, jabbed me the wrong way. I just thought that they should have yanked his Twitter away the day he became president, um, not to limit his, um, his ability to, to um, you know, communicate because you are the president of the free world, right? You have every platform available to you. If you really want to talk, you can get it out. And how many presidents survived prior to Twitter, right? How we, there's maybe two, maybe Obama and I did, was Twitter even around for Bush? So, I mean, we're talking about maybe one or two uh, presidents have had, um, had Twitter. So it's, um, but actually I want to talk about that later. I do want to just circle back to, since we're talking about free speech, let's actually dive into the constitution and figure out what it says, right? So let's take it word by word, and then we can dive into kind of the nuances and what is protected, what isn't protected. Um, so here it is. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or the, abridge, the abridging of the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition their government for a redress of grievances. So pretty simple, right? Congress shall make no law. So, I mean, what more do you really, what more needs to be said, right? The government has no business censoring um, you. And I, there are some actually some really interesting court cases and some precedents that have been set by the Supreme Court you know, really solidifying this fact that, you know, Congress and the the laws of this nation shall not prohibit speech, even when it makes us uncomfortable. And I think that's really important, too. I mean, that's uh, maybe it's not a new idea, but it's definitely been magnified recently with kind of the woke crowd that we have and, and uh, these new ideas that we see coming out of the especially the left where you don't have the right to offend somebody. But. I would present to you that where are you going to draw that line? How far is it uh, until, well, you know, after 9-11, it was pretty offensive for you to say that we shouldn't go to war in the Middle East. This is an idea that most people would call you a, a terrorist sympathizer, or at least not a patriot for saying these kinds of things. And if you start putting these things in place, and we already see it a little bit. I mean, uh, Ocasio-Cortez is really good about when somebody kind of starts making good points towards her, against her on Twitter what's the first tool she goes to? She goes to her sheath and she pulls out the, well, I'm, I don't have to explain myself to a white man, or this is some kind of showing of your privilege that you would have this opinion and share it with me rather than actually tackling the point and using better ideas to explain why she's correct. She'll divert to this thing where she doesn't have to have to react to this. And that's a really dangerous place to be. We want politicians that are beholden to us. And that should go for everybody. I mean, just because your guy's in there right now, if you're a big Biden fan, you think he's going to do amazing things for this country. I hope you're right. But when he does things that, as I think he'll inevitably do, that aren't great, we need to have the right to criticize him. Otherwise, what's the point of this democracy? It's just a dictatorship at that point. So I think a really great um, way to circle back to what you're talking about um, when someone's idea Instead of instead of battling the idea, we pull out these these arguments, right? That try to just attack. They're the ad hominem attacks, or they or they deflect. And um, this is um, in in Gertz versus Robert Welsh Inc. And I'm thinking, I, th I think it happened in the 60s or 70s. I didn't actually write down the date. The Supreme Court ruled, and they held that quote under the First Amendment, there is no such thing as a false idea, however pernicious as an opinion may seem. We de we depend for its corrections, not on the conscience of judges and juries, but on the competition of other ideas. And I think that that sums it up so perfectly that, okay, you, and back to what you were saying, that you actually, you do not have the right to not be offended by speech, right? That is not a constitutional right that you hold. Um, because it should be because it's such an ambiguous idea. You can be offended by anything. I could be offended by the fact that you're offended by what I said. Right. In fact, I am pretty offended by the fact that people are out there offended by what I'm saying. I think I should have the right to say things. 
So where, where do we draw that line? If, if we're at the offensive stalemate, do we have to go to court now to decide, do we have to, you know, where, where do you, where is the line of, of offensiveness that we can't say? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just, uh, I want to, want to circle back to that, but I do just want to touch real briefly that what, what the first amendment does not protect, right? The protect, the first amendment does not protect imminent, um, calls for violence or for bodily harm, right? So uh, you can't incite to violence with your speech, right? If I say, hey, let's go over there and kick that guy's ass, that is not protected speech because it causes imminent harm uh, to another party. Um, you know, liber- as libertarians, we would say that that's not right anyways, because that violates the non-aggression principle. Even if that dude is over there yelling slurs at me, if he did not actually initiate violence against me, it is immoral for me to go over there and initiate violence against him. Um, but back to the whole hate speech thing, because I think it's really interesting when we talk about hate speech and we talk about hate crimes. There is actually no legal definition of hate speech, and it is not a category of of speech that the courts have actually held as an exception to the First Amendment, right? You do not have the right to not be offended by speech. And Justice Samuel Alito wrote in a unanimous decision, which is really powerful, right? And this is, quote, the proudest boast of our free speech jurisprudence is that we protect the freedoms to express, quote, the thought that we hate, And then it even gets more solidified by Justice Anthony Kennedy, who wrote in another case in the late uh, 70s, I believe, this is, quote, the danger of the viewpoint discrimination is that the government is attempting to remove certain ideas or perspectives from a broader debate. The danger is all the greater if the ideas or perspectives are one a particular audience might think offensive, at least at first hearing. To permit viewpoint discrimination in this context is to permit government censorship. Yeah, man, I, I think that's uh, a really good point and, and kind of going to what you said about libertarians and believing in the non-aggression principle. Um, I don't see necessarily, it, it goes back to this idea of taking the teeth out of the state, that if you take away the avenue of force, is it really something that we feel like we need to go after a person and change their mind just because they say some guy in Alabama hates Asian people and he's going on and on about it in rural Alabama in the middle of nowhere. Well, if he never acts on that, if he stays on his one acre garbage ranch and complains all day about other races, but stays in his neighborhood, is that something we're really comfortable going after him for having these bad thoughts for, for saying that he thinks maybe white men are superior to other people? Is that something that we feel like we need to take this person and throw them in a cage over? Mm-hmm. Or is this another case of nonviolent crimes? Where, you know, you if a guy has a gram of marijuana and you throw him in prison, people will lose their mind about how could you throw a person into essentially slavery for something that had no victim. Well, in the same way, this guy, if he's not directly inciting violence on someone, he's an ignorant idiot, but he's not directly inciting violence. So I don't know that it's it's a slippery slope to start giving the government the ability to throw you into prison because you said the wrong thing and it's just something that's going to culminate in you said the wrong thing about the government or about this political party, you know, say we start a war in whatever country in the middle East in the next two years. And you say, I'm against that. And I think Biden's a bad president. There's going to be plenty of avenues for them to find through the system to say, the only reason you're saying that is because you're a bigot or you're an anti, you're anti-Semitic. These are people who are aggressive to our Jewish allies in the middle East and there's too many ways to spin this where they can then take control and stop you from criticizing what would be otherwise, I would think, a legitimate con- uh, concern that our government's out there building empires. Mm-hmm. And I think if we take that to its, um, well, to maybe some historical conclusions that we've seen, a really great, uh, so, and I, I'm, I'm going to butcher the joke, right? But it's, it's kind of a Soviet style joke. Like the best way to, uh, the best way to uh, solve a dis, uh, like a disagreement with your neighbor is to tell them that, or is to, is to tell the KGB that they've been bad mouthing the premier, right? Because that's right, going right. to find its way <laughs> into, into the Stasi's ears. I guess that's hey. East German. 
um that's that was the, their secret police but you know and that's kind of like the, that dark soviet humor right where you know it's kind of a it's kind of along the same lines as like the the basement of the lubyanka palace which was where they you know executed probably more than 40 to 50,000 political prisoners six at a time with revolvers right there there was a joke saying that the lubyanka basement was so tall that you could see siberia from there um so it's kind of along the same same dark humor but <laughs> When we start to go down these paths of, okay, I don't like that, so I want to censor you, we have to stop and think for a couple of things. One, what what do I hate so much about that other idea that it should not have its day in, you know, in the in the open forum, so to speak? And then two, we always have to keep in mind that sunlight sanitizes hate right? Like if you deplatform these people and you push them into the dark, you are not making this problem go away because that stuff festers in the closet, right? If you take, if you deplatform every Trump supporter and every conservative off the establishment media that we have today, guess what? Those people aren't going to come around to your ideas. You cannot put a gun to someone's head and say, hey, Joe Biden won, unite, right? That's not the way that you actually build unity. Um, and if you deplatform all of these people and you push them into the dark, well, then what happens? It grows, and it grows and it becomes an echo chamber and they become more isolated and they become more radical because there's no outside voices to say, hey, maybe that's not right. And so pushing anyone into the dark, and I don't care what side you fall on, the left, the right, um, the far middle, um, not on the spectrum, don't really care, right? As soon as you start censoring speech that is not inciting imminent violence, right? Because that that's not right. Um, but as soon as you start just censoring speech, because I don't like the way that makes me feel, or I disagree with that attitude or that mindset or that perspective or those policies, then you've never, you've ultimately removed our strongest, um, our strongest tool as a society and as a Republic. And that is the open discourse, right? Like we have to battle these ideas out, not in secret, not on the dark web. We have to battle them out in public in a civilized manner because the strongest idea will succeed. But as soon as you start tampering any certain part of any speech, well, I'm, I mean, I know it, it is a, is a logical fallacy, you know, the slippery slope, but I really think that that is, uh, if there's anything that is truly a slippery slope, it is censoring speech because who gets to decide that, right? Who gets to set the bar on what is offensive and what is not? And how do we determine when to move that goalpost? And what happens when we move the goalpost past something that the majority of people actually don't think is offensive, but the goal setters have. And so now all of a sudden we've been, we've uh, been robbed of our opportunity to discuss and criticize, right? That is an essential part of our government. We have the right to criticize each other and we have the right to criticize our politicians and our government. And this is something we always like to pat ourselves on the back of as libertarians, that the idea that uh, bring the ideas to the table, Let's not let these things sit in their own ecosystem, in their own chambers, and, and never come in contact with each other. But rather, let's have these discussions openly. Let's decide what the best ideas are. And they're, you're probably not going to get 100% of people to have the right opinion. But when you take these people and remove them from the public circle and shun them from polite society, you're not changing their opinion. What you're doing is you're no longer hearing the plotting that's going on behind your back because <laughs> you've now taken it out of the public square and these people are still going to have the same motivations. It's, it's kind of like what we talked about in our last episode where uh, with all this stuff, do, do we think that the the Trump crowd's just done now? Cause they got, Oh, we got defeated. Trump's gone and he's off of social media. And so are we, or do we think that they're all going to either flock to a parlor or find another means to, to start having these conversations, whether it's just a message board somewhere. I mean, there's going to be something spread out of this. It might be Trump's official, uh, substitution for Twitter when he starts that business and they've <laughs> blackballed him out of all business loans. He'll only have his news network and his, uh, his publishing sites, <laughs> which I, I think is something we're going to probably get to look forward to for the foreseeable future with Trump. I think that's probably an avenue we're going to watch him go into. Um, I also wanted to mention, you don't have to go back as far as Soviet Russia to, to see this kind of behavior. I mean, you can go to China right now and it's not an uncommon practice for club owners to see another club that's, hurting them that man they're they're really drawing a crowd and we're kind of dead in here tonight and what do they do they call up the communist party and they say hey 
they're doing some comedy in there. That's a little bit offensive to the communist party. And so they come, they shut you down, give you a warning. And even if things go well and you get cleared by the party and you don't get thrown into the, the gulag somewhere, you still have a, a probationary period where you're shut down for a week while they're investigating and they're checking around to see what this impolite speech towards the party is. Because after all, this is a communist government. It's a government for all the people by all the people. We own the means of production. So any speech against this communist government obviously is hate speech against its people. Why mm-hmm. would it not be? <laughs> and I think there's a lot of examples of this. I, I equate, uh, I kind of half jokingly tongue in cheek call this book burning. Uh, I don't think it's dissimilar to limit speech, limit what people are able to publish online um, and what platforms are allowed to have from what Alexander the Great did when he campaigned across Russia, uh, Persia. And if you learn about Alexander the Great, like we did in Western society, this is a great figure. This is amazing, amazing leader who at young twenties was able to take a, one of the largest expansions of an empire. Uh, now what they don't tell you is the Persian perspective. <laughs> and part of that is because we burned all their books when we got there. And I say we as in Western society, but Alexander the great sweeps through there with the Macedonians and burns all the books. And so the only thing remaining is about how great of a leader he was, how gracious he was to the people he conquered and how they, they couldn't believe they were blessed by the gods with such a wonderful person to, to lead their people. Uh, and this happens time and time again, you know, the, when you talk about who gets to decide what's offensive, um, it's not always in the moment that the person who holds the force gets to decide what's offensive, uh, at least not in a democracy where everybody has a voice for now. Um, but it gets decided afterwards for sure by whoever holds that power. Those are the people that write history. And those are the dangers you run into that you can, <laughs> you can have these things where you say, I, I don't think that that should be protected why or hate uh, considered hate speech and taken down why would the the government do that but in 20 years if they're still in power your opinion doesn't matter anymore it's just the history books they get to write they're gonna take your kids put them in pre-k and teach them this stuff anyway mm-hmm. and i think there's examples all over the place i mean I, I wrote down a couple just interesting ones i thought um i mean obviously uh the first one everybody points to is nazi germany this is basically the first thing you do when you start a propaganda machine that's going to convince people to do atrocities is you have to get a hold of the messaging and you do that by having book burning ceremonies where you goose step down the town square and you sing songs about how great the Nazi party is. And you burn all the literature that has anything to do with uh, dissent against your party. Um, some other interesting figures. I mean, obviously we talked about Martin Luther King. Uh, we talked about nine 11 and how that it wasn't really a uh, pretty faux pas to be Ron Paul right after nine 11 and say that we, were, we shouldn't go to war in the middle East. Um, and hey, let's not forget the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, Galileo was <laughs> was uh, forced into exile for a while because he wanted to tell everybody that the earth actually revolves around the sun, I think was his big revelation. And, and this was unacceptable by the church. <laughs> and these kind of things, Joan of Arc was another one who, uh, granted, she took up some arms. So that, that'll get you killed by the state pretty quick. But uh, to dissent against uh, this insurrection. So fair enough. Um, and I forget, oh, I didn't even write it down. Uh, I believe it was, was it Socrates who was forced to drink poison <laughs> for, for his uh, atrocity? the youth of, a- of Athens. That's, yeah, yeah, that's exactly Socrates it. Socrates or Aristotle, I can't remember which, which one comes first, but same thing, right? You're, you're, yeah. corrupting, you're corrupting the youth, therefore you must die. And, right. and these are people, back- every one of those names I just mentioned, obviously not Nazi Germany and maybe not Alexander the Great, but Galileo, Joan of Arc, MLK, Ron Paul, these are all people that we hold in high regard as people who were fighting for rights of people that were fighting mm-hmm. against the powers, against the oppression. So we can't forget that and then decide to just start sweepingly knocking off people's opinions. Like it's a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's never yeah. been a good thing. A hundred percent. And it doesn't matter which, um, which episode you really want to take, right. Whether it be the freedom marches of MLK and uh, the civil rights movement, right? Like you have to understand that at that time, that type of speech was, you know, they were, the establishment would argue that that is inciting violence and that is insurrection, right? But what good came of it because the government didn't step in and say, no, you can't say that, right? Maybe the maybe the Civil Rights Act and the whole movement, and I understand that it was not all peaceful, right? I understand that there was mm-hmm. violence in a lot of places and, you know, some, some really awesome people got assassinated, most likely by the FBI, <laughs> um, you know, for their, for their um, role in it. But to just roll back and say, I don't like that, cancel it. 
it really removes this opportunity that we have as a society to move the needle forward. And the only way that the needle actually gets moved forward is in conversation, right? Like Logan and I always talk about this one. This one comes up. This is probably like the, the biggest conundrum of libertarianism for me is the idea of abortion, right? Because it, it is both pro-life and pro-choice the libertarian party can take either stance, right? You can be that, okay, well, we believe in the non-aggression principle, therefore we are pro-life. But then it's also on the flip side, it's like, but we also don't believe in government um, telling anyone else what to do with their bodies. So therefore we are pro-choice. And that discrepancy of the idea and having that conversation, like that's what's going to move the party forward and that's what's going to move society forward is diving into the details of that and really figuring out, okay, where do we draw the lines? What are our absolute black and white lines or as close to white and black as we can get with our shades of gray and then start working our way away from those or, you know, towards that middle ground to where it's like now it's pretty murky that it's up to the individual. And it's just something to touch on that you said too, um, talking about like German propaganda. I took a mass communications class in college, um, one of those requirements. And it was really interesting that pretty much all of modern communication is based on Joseph Goebbels and his, um, his idea of how to propagandize a society. What they taught me in that class, they stemmed, like they pulled from it. You know, they're like, we're not talking, like we don't say that Nazis are good. We don't think that what they did was great. However, this is an effective way to communicate with the masses. Therefore, we're going to teach you about it. And there's something to be said about that, right? Like if modern American mass communications is based on propaganda techniques of the Nazi regime, then it's probably a time that we stop putting so much weight into what the pretty face with the nice white teeth say every single night to tell us about what happened in the world today. Today, there were 17 murders, 18 violent crimes. Um, this company went bankrupt, you know, and it's like all of these things that it just takes us to this point um, to where I, I don't know. I, I lost track of that thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see where you're going with it. It's, it's the same. We need to all be aware that we are being fed propaganda. Now you could argue that it's better propaganda than some other country or that our leaders who are propagating this propaganda have moral hearts and are going to lead us in the right direction. But you have to accept that this isn't most of the messages that you're getting are coming from the state that they're, either culminating this or at least allowing the people who get these opinions uh, or who have these opinions to take up those spaces in our media. And they're not going to stop doing that. That's something that they're, they're always going to be. I mean, it's essentially advertising, you know, Doritos propaganda propagandizes you with ads of guys with orange fingers and how delicious their treats are. Uh, it's, it's advertisement for the state. It's for them to justify their position and to make sure that you guys know that we're the good guys and we're making all the right decisions up here. But with that, you need to understand that that's what, exactly what it is. And we need to be able to form our own opinions in case that does go south. I mean, this is the same government that had black people and slaves for 100 years. This is the same government that went to Vietnam, uh, which is pretty widely regarded as a bad decision now. The same government that's got us in 20 years of war in the Middle East. It's not like they've never got it wrong before. And there's going to be plenty of people who get in power, even if you decide, decide for yourself that Joe Biden's got it all under wraps. Imagine there's going to be a pretty big outpour for whoever the next uh, quote unquote Trump figure is that comes from the right. I mean, I, I don't think that they have given up all hope and they're just going to hand over the country to the, the progressives and the liberals at this point. I think they're going to come out in arms for the, the next uh, races in two years and especially in four years. Mm -hmm. And um it's, you know, it's actually really interesting. As I was driving home yesterday, I will say that, you know, it, um, Grand Targhee is not close to New Mexico. It was like a 15-hour drive. Um, but we were driving through Colorado, and uh, we decided to just put on AM radio, right? Just like, let's get away from podcasts and music. <laughs> let's just tune into what's going on on AM radio. And it was really interesting, you know, as we're driving through, like, you know, Denver's, of course, is like, it's like a liberal stronghold of uh, Colorado. And so it's like Summit County and that kind of area. But then, you know, as soon as you get out to like Colorado Springs, that's still pretty Republican because of the large military base there and large military presence in like Pueblo and Trinidad, like all of those areas, it leans pretty red and AM radio was reflecting that. Um, but it was really interesting to your point, though, there was a caller from Mississippi calling into this show about how the Republican Party has abandoned them 
and they have to walk away from the Republican Party now because it's done literally nothing for them. You know, like she was her point was, OK, so we praise Mitch McConnell because he got all of these judges um, appointed. But that's not because Mitch McConnell is a constitutionalist or he is an or he likes to appoint originalist judges. Um it's because Mitch McConnell is doing what's right for the Republican party. And as soon as it was convenient, he flipped on Trump, right? Like the establishment dumped Trump. They, they put up with him for four years, but as soon as they, they have the opportunity, they took tail and they jump ship. And, and it's like, whatever um, they're politicians, right. And they're self-serving politicians too. Right. Because not all of these people are bad. I think, do want uh, to just step back and- I think those terms are synonymous. I don't think you had to say self-serving before politicians. <laughs> Well, that was the point I was about to make is that there are some people that I truly believe that are fighting the good fight in the institution, right? There's, they're, they're few and far between. Um, Like I I always thought that Bernie Sanders was one for the longest time, but he just caved every time he was, he wasn't, he wasn't the revolution figure that we need to drive. Like every time that dog in him. Yeah. Every time he got pushed over and screwed, he just said, Hillary Clinton is my friend. And I support Joe Biden, you know, and he just he just caved every single time. But that's a, that's beside the point. Um, the point I am trying to make, though, is that tuning in to AM radio in the middle of Colorado was really interesting to see what people were talking about. And it was it was kind of heartening to know that 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 platform still exists and that there are still some people talking about these ideas and that the conversation is moving forward because I am so terrified of the office of English or the, um, the office of free speech or, you know, whatever, whatever government entity is going to roll out to start to try to censor and um, direct the narrative one way or the other. That to me terrifies me. Right. Um, And is, average people it should terrify you too because guess what as all of these people and i get it like joe biden's president um interesting fact there were more troops deployed in washington dc than afghanistan and iraq combined today um well, i heard that don't don't really know why i'm really curious as to but anyways that's a different topic for a different day but it is one of those things that okay cool Trump's out of here, right? So we can all breathe our, breathe our collective sigh of relief that orange man bad. We finally slayed the ogre. It is time to restore America back to its rightful place of bombing brown people in countries we don't belong in. But at the same time, we got rid of Trump, right? So my, my worry is, though, that because we have just gotten rid of Trump, everyone's going to put their guard down. And we're going to just assume that because we've returned to the old swamp that we know and love and the corruption that we have become accustomed to and the type of lobbyists and, you know, swamp creatures that we grew up with, that we're going to put our guard down and we're not going to hold our government accountable. But what I'm really terrified about is because culture is downstream from politics, right? Culture shapes politics. What I'm afraid is that this wokeism, this movement that is pushing to cancel and censor people is going to make its way into the official government square and the public forum and push us from the public forum to the office of the president and the halls of Congress. And that to me, that's not a world that I really want to live in. You know, and our courts have been pretty good thus far in our nation's history of upholding free speech. Most of the time, it seems like we've made the right decision, as far as I can tell, in kind of keeping these things afloat. But there is that concern, and that is kind of one of the weaknesses, potentially, with a democracy. When you cycle out a leader every four to eight years, you're inevitably, you're going to get a Richard Nixon. You're going to get somebody in there who's not a good dude, or maybe Donald Trump's that guy for you who or uh, Woodrow Wilson, you know, there's, there's plenty of people who have plenty of gripes about plenty of presidents. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the thing is, you have to understand any of these powers that you're giving the government are going to be given to the next guy who comes in and then the guy after that and the guy after that. So to limit this kind of stuff and the, the ability for us to have discussions or criticize our government, it's just leading to a point when you're going to run into somebody who isn't your guy. And I think that the state, we're in a, a vulnerable position right now because these are popular ideas with cancel culture and the, the woke progressive crowd right now uh, that are gaining momentum that a state that has nefarious intent for this is going to be more than happy to co-opt these ideas. 
Because if you start putting censorship laws on the books, it doesn't matter again what the intent of those are in the moment. Because once they're on the books, they can kind of manipulate them a little bit or apply them to something else. They can make arguments in law. There's a lot of lawyers that run this country. They're more than happy to uh, to figure out exactly how to utilize the bills they get put in place. Uh, and that's a really dangerous area to be in, guys. They're they're gonna they're gonna <laughs> accept these rules and they're gonna call themselves great progressives and say that it's for the minorities and the disenfranchised of this country. But in 10 years, once they've got it on the books, they're going to be using it for propagating what the state wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important just to look back, like history is filled with it. Like you were saying, right? Like what good came from um, the ability to push back against the war in Vietnam, right? Like we're talking about mass protests saying, no, this is not right. We don't believe in this, right? Think of, think of the good that comes from the pushback from the civil rights movement saying, no, I want equal treatment. It says all men are created equal. Therefore, I should be able to enter this restaurant through the front door. I shouldn't have to drink out of a different water fountain. I shouldn't have to be bused to a school one way or the other, right? Like I don't want to have to go to an all black school if I don't want to. And I don't want to have to be integrated if I don't want to, right? If you keep thinking about all of these great strides forward that has come from our ability to push back against the government, but then also each other, right? Think about the, the, the fervent debate that is going on in the, um, so Independence Hall, right? Is that where they, they did the Constitution, right? Where they're hashing out, you know, think of the, the debate that's going in that room, right? And it's in this great document and this great idea, right? And it's not perfect, right? Because we are still fighting for, you know, that we hold all men and women to be equal, right? We're still fighting that fight. And that should probably be the biggest fight of society is to create that equality of opportunity across the board. But I digress. Um, think of the the greatness that comes from our ability to push back, not against only a foreign government or at that time, our government, um, if you're talking about the English crown and the American colonies, but against each other, right? The debate that happens between Thomas Jefferson and his adversaries, right? Think of an Alexander Hamilton because they hated each other, right? Think of, think of the debate that comes from us being able to push against each other, like the Lincoln Douglas debates, right? That is, that, that is a great idea. That is a great example of what happened when we can combat ideas that are external, right? Like these grand ideas, and we can debate them in our real world life because that changes ideas, right? Because ideas, you know, that is what the real fight is, right? And Tim Pool always says that, right? We are now in fifth dimensional or fifth generational warfare, right? It's not nearly as effective to um, go bomb a street corner um, of a bunch of dissenting Trump supporters as it is just to crush them with information, right? Or to censor the information or to, you know, steer the narrative one way or the other. And I just think that, um, no, go ahead. Oh, you're good. I was just going to say, I, I think it's important too. Uh, all those good movements that you just talked about in American history, all these people who were against Vietnam or, or Martin Luther King or whatever the example is, it's pretty hard to find one of those people who weren't accused of inciting violence. And that's kind of a new term, but you can go back and look at the language they use in those different times. And I mean, directly, I found several spots online when I was doing research where they directly said Martin Luther King is inciting violence. He's stirring up these Negroes and they're going into towns and they're causing trouble. And that's the danger of it. Cause you can sit there and say, yeah, he's inside of violence. We have to deplatform and we got to take him out of the public eye or even with the hippie movement. I mean, there's an, this is deep conspiracy time, but all the, uh, the Manson stuff where Manson was this hippie who was <laughs> encouraging people to murder people. And there's a lot of creepy stuff in there where he went to prison and he kind of got let out based on a, a letter of, Hey, this is above your pay grade. Let this guy go. And how much of that was a direct influence, you know, of how, how conspiratorial is your mind that you want to think maybe the CIA had him in there as a plant. Uh, and maybe that's a little too deep for you, but <laughs> just <laughs> the, the thought that all of these great things that come from it, it's from this idea of let's bring these ideas to light. And if one idea is empirically better than another, if one idea is white and one is black, we're going to find which one's correct. Now there's going to be a lot of gray area back to kind of the abortion thing you were saying earlier. We may not have a perfect answer to all of these, but to sit there and say, you cannot say that you're not allowed to say that because of X, Y, or Z is to not allow us to find those gray areas. And we're going to get in a position where one of these bad positions is just accepted and you're not allowed to question it anymore because we can't have this conversation to decide what the better idea might be. 
And I'm a big believer in that. They're, they're of course, more articulate people who, if you get trapped one-on-one with somebody and have this conversation, they may win with a bad idea. They might have the wrong idea in a debate and still be able to come out on top. But if we bring everybody into the public forum and we allow everyone to express these opinions, it's probably more likely that the one who has the correct opinion, the correct idea is going to end up coming out on top or at least looking a little bit better. And we can kind of discern what the best way to move forward from that point is. Mm -hmm. No, I really like that. It is, that is the way that we move the needle forward. So I think a a really good, um, that's a good way to transition to this kind of next topic that I wanted to talk about. And it's, it's a two way street, right? Because oftentimes, and I've really heard this over 2020 and going into 2021, it's my right to do this. It's my right to do this. You don't have the right to tell me to do this. And technically, yes, that's correct. But I think what happens is we end up focusing on our rights. What, What happens is we talk about our rights, but we never really talk about our responsibilities, right? Like you as American, you have rights, but we never couple that with the other part of that. And it is the responsibility that comes with those rights and the right to wield them responsibly um, or the, you know, the, the duty to wield those um, rights responsibly because you have the right to be an asshole, but you have a responsibility not to. And so oftentimes we really focus on we, we stop it right there. We say, this is my right, but we don't really take it to that next level and say, okay, and we can, let's put this in the context of speech, right? You have the right to spew hate speech. You do. It is, we, the Supreme Court has established over several, I think it's six or seven different hearings and um, case studies that you have the right to spew hate speech. But what we don't talk about is that as an American and as a decent human being, you have the responsibility not to spew hate speech. Right. And I think it kind of goes to that old adage of hurt people, hurt people. It's uh, if everybody (laughs) did have equal opportunity in this country and everybody's going, going pretty well for them. There's not a lot of bigots I know that are like life went awesome for them. I mean, here and there, I'm sure there are some people who are doing pretty well who hate a certain racial group that are kind of off in their own sector. But for the most part, like you said, light kind of kills hate. When you're out there, you meet people, you rub elbows with people, you realize, okay, maybe these views I had don't apply to everybody with one particular skin color. And that's kind of a stupid way of thinking. Uh, But you got to have these conversations in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And it's that exposure of the opposite idea that really, you know, whittles away at the hate, right? Because I can, you know, I know of personal examples of people that were, you know, racist until they met me. And then, then, you know, the, you shift the window just a tiny bit away from, okay, well, not all black people are terrible. And as soon as you can open up that, um, that idea and you can introduce them to that experience, then, you know, you can really start to, you know, work away from those things. And I think it's the same with speech, right? Like you can take it to the extreme. You can say, okay, like, I don't like hate speech because guess what? I don't either. Right. I, I think it's abhorrent. I think that it's a terrible way to go about um, and conduct yourself in society because we're supposed to be a polite society. Right. And polite societies don't go around putting crosses in neighbors yards and burning them. And we don't go around saying like the Jews will not overcome us. And you don't go around and doing all of these things that 99% of people also find repugnant as well. However, when that happens, it gives us an opportunity to learn from it and to expose that. I mean, we've talked about this before, like with Charlottesville, right? You had the Unite the Right rally. Um, You have how many hundreds of people show up to um, talk about, you know, I don't know if it initially starts off as like a white supremacist thing, but it certainly um, cascades into that rather quickly. And then you have a counter protest come out and someone drives a car through, right? And it turns into this whole mess, right? The best thing that happened from that Unite the the Right rally is not that these people got to stand out in a public square and spew their hate speech. The best thing that happened from it is that the world and Americans got to see how idiotic that those ideas are. We got to see how that is not right to, you know, and wherever you, wherever you get your morals from, right, whether it be a God, whether it be philosophy, whether, you know, whatever you derive your moral compass from as an individual, 99% of people saw that and said, that's not right. And so the best thing that happened from that was not that they got to get out there and spew their hate speech is that it was that next year, 
when they went back to that same square, like 18 of them showed up and everybody mm-hmm. gathered around and they laughed them away. Like that is, I think public shaming is actually a really viable way <laughs> to correct behavior and good on, and you know, good on those people for getting out there and shaming those people, right? Like you have, and it's a two way street, right? Like someone has the right to sit out on a public square and spew their hate speech or whatever it is, right? Whether let's just say it's like speech that I disagree with, because it doesn't always have to be that radical end of hate speech. You also have the right to go stand on the opposite side and say, you're an idiot for thinking that way. And if you really want to change their, you know, their idea, then you don't berate the individual, right? You don't come at them and say they're an idiot. You say, Hey, this is why this idea is not correct. And this is, and these are the reasons where, I can show you that this idea is not correct, right? Um, And you can battle that because hatred does not die in the dark. And I have to just repeat that and repeat that and repeat that because guess what? They banned hate speech in Nazi, uh, not in Nazi Germany. Um, They banned hate speech in Germany and in Poland and in the EU um, Charter of Human Rights, hate speech is a banned speech. But guess what? They still have problems with neo-nazi groups they still have problems with all of these far-right fascists and it's not because and guess what because banning the speech doesn't make these people go away but giving them the opportunity to get out in public and let us the public decide whether or not we accept that idea that is how you combat that and i think that's a really good example for that with uh, what you're saying with the unite the right people and I, I would even say, yes, if you're especially one-on-one, you're you're only going to make somebody put the shields up if you start screaming at them, hellfire and brimstone and why they're wrong and they're a piece of garbage. Uh, but I don't think that it's completely ineffective either, at least on a macro scale, where the other benefit we saw of this kind of extrapolates into the social media area, where these guys went on there, they went on to march, they, it was a pretty rough day in American history, it wasn't a great look for us. But the backlash of that was all these people were online. They, they expressed those ideas and they got smashed by public opinion. And they started kind of noticing a lot of them, I imagine. We're going, huh, maybe, maybe I've been in my own eco chamber. Maybe this is some silly things that I'm thinking. If this many people have this much vitriol for what I'm doing out here, then maybe at least I should read up on what they're talking about. And I think that's probably a, a big, if nothing else, they, it, they were not as fervent about their own beliefs to go back the next year for the most part. And I would even say there had to be a couple, at least a percentage point of those people who ended up changing their mind that ended up enlightening themselves a little bit because they were able to be on social media. And what are the effects of that? If you have a hundred thousand people show up and you kick all of them off of Twitter the next day and they don't hear these opinions from everyone else. And then the only thing they see is the media saying it, which they already distrust and believe is fake news and that there's, Nothing they're going to say that's honest and they're 100% statist, which they're not wrong on all those points. Uh, but you're taking the ability for them to have this corrective action of public opinion, to see how the culture reacts to it and how other people react to it and have other people share their ideas. Um, I've forgotten the name of the gentleman who converts KKK members, but I was just thinking about that. I mean, that's a good, it's Daryl something, I think. But great name or a great, great person here. I'll look it up. Yeah, I mean, he's an amazing individual. This, this man was a, a blues musician, and he would go around and play in, in bars, and he ended up kind of brushing elbows with a white supremacist uh, KKK cardholder somewhere. And this this man's rhetoric to begin with was like, can't believe a brother can play an instrument like that. And then I he went on to kind of show him that a lot of the people he looked up to that he'd only ever heard on the radio also were black men. Right. He just didn't realize. Uh, but through this, through him being able to share these opinions with these people, have conversations with them for them to meet somebody who was a black man who they thought was a, a terrible person. Uh, and Daryl Davis is the name Matthew just put in the, the chat. That was a, that's the gentleman's name. Uh, incredible individual. But if he is not able to reach out to these people, if these people are, are cut away from him, even if uh, I'm sure he can reach man to man as he did in this small country bar somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the South, where he happened to run into somebody he could convert over over the series of years that's great. He can still do that one-on-one, but how much more powerful is his message when he goes on Joe Rogan's podcast and some mm-hmm. guy who's uh, in Alabama who likes Joe Rogan. Cause he likes martial arts and hunting. And he seems like a good old boy. And then he gets to hear Daryl Davis go on there and express ideas of why this is a bad idea, why these are abhorrent thoughts and that we don't have to hate each other. And how much hate has he removed from this world through having those same people on social media that we're thinking about cutting off right now? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good segue because, um, you know, and to like this idea of like the private business and these platforms and what they actually are, right? So I'm going to ask you a question and we didn't talk about this before, but do you think that as a private business, like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram have the right to censor um, people or not, right? Because I go, I'll give you my answer and then you can think about yours. I'm on the fence, right? Because if there's 2 billion people that use Facebook at a certain point, it stops becoming like a private business and more of a public utility. And it should fall and it should probably fall under like some some sort of like rules and regulations that guide public utilities. Right. And that's just kind of my it's kind of my my initial reaction. But at the same time, I do have to say, though, that if Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of these other companies are private businesses and they can do what they want, because I've heard that argument from the left this entire time. As soon as they scrub Trump off Facebook and Twitter, they're like, oh yeah, well, it's a private company. It can do what it wants. Well, by that same logic, every restaurant in this country gets to open up tomorrow. You know, every, you know, uh, like if, 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 Public, if the government has no business telling what businesses can and can, you know who you can and can't censor, then by the same token, the government has no business telling me whether I can have my restaurant open or not. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know that's a tough one because the knee-jerk libertarian reaction is that these are private businesses and that the state shouldn't have any access to to uh, stifle their their works. But this is a new thing. This is something that's bigger than than a lot of uh, what we've seen in the past. This is a, a transforming force. Uh, and it has kind of moved into this space of, of public utility. I mean, we, especially with Donald Trump, kind of helped propagate that. He, he was giving presidential announcements on Twitter. So if the president is giving vital information on Twitter, at that point, it's a little harder to say, yeah, this is a private business. You don't have any right to be on here. Uh, and maybe it goes back to what you were saying earlier, where Trump probably shouldn't have used that avenue. That probably wasn't the smartest thing in the world to to decide that Twitter was the primary uh, microphone to the public. But I do think it kind of comes down to this idea of, is it a utility or is it a publisher? And when you start removing content from your page, it does kind of imply that you're a publisher at some point. You're no longer allowing people to have their own opinion unless it kind of aligns with yours. And sure, there's going to be some that miss out. There's always going to be an example you can point to and go like, well, Twitter executives don't like that. And that got tweeted and didn't ever get taken down. They're going to miss some things. It's an untenable uh, untenable situation for them to try to be the publishers of everything that's posted on Facebook or Twitter. It's way too daunting of a task. So I do kind of lean towards this idea of public utility. I, I think that they... They need to, at the very least, they have to have guidelines that are consistent across the board. I mean, there were, uh, Kathy Griffin held up a, a Photoshop picture of her holding Trump's beheaded, you know, d- disbodied head. I remember uh, that. And I don't believe she got kicked off of Twitter for that. She got canceled, though. She did get canceled, right? The, the court of public opinion came after her. But it, to do that, I mean, do you think you could post a picture of you holding Joe Biden's head? off of his body with blood dripping down it right now. Oh, no way. Pretty sure you get kicked off of Twitter. In fact, I'd guarantee that because you can't even say bad things <laughs> right now. You'll get kicked off of Twitter if you go against the general narrative. Um, so I, I think if you're going to be, take this private company aspect and and decide that things are, are not going to put on your platform, it has to either follow sweeping rules that apply to everybody regardless of political decision otherwise you're discriminating against somebody or you kind of just have to open it up at some point and and realize you know what this is akin to the telephone it's something that we can't really as long as somebody's paying for the service it's hard to sit here and and tell them that they are are not allowed to have their own opinion on it yeah it's a it's a really slippery slope you know and it's not even slippery slope almost it's just more of a this is the gray that we're talking about, right? This is the nuances that you move society forward with. These are the type of conversations that we have to start having, right? Okay, Twitter banned the uh, the former president of the United States as of today, right? Um, 
does Twitter have the right to do that? Does Facebook have the right to purge thousands of conservative media personalities, right? I mean, just, let's just call it La Perga, right? I know it's, it's like, um, I mean, they, they censored Ron Paul, right? They, they took down Ron Paul's Facebook, you know, like the great Ron Paul, the only like political leader of our time that truly can be called great, I would say. They shut his Facebook off for continuously breaking policies without no prior warnings, right? And when you get into this weird dynamic of where we stand today, um, I think this is going to be the this is going to be like the real fight over the next year and moving forward because this idea of you know limiting free speech and pursuing um, you know punishment for people that kind of violate the norms, right? Like let's take Julian Assange, right? What was what was Julian Assange crime? Julian Assange did not steal anything, right? He had a bunch of documents dumped to him. And as a publisher, he let them out into the world. And if you're going to like, what was, what was that crime? And I really, you know, like shame on Donald Trump, shame on him. He could have pardoned, he could have pardoned some really cool people that deserve to be pardoned, but no, mm -hmm. he went, he, he pardoned little Wayne. Thanks. I'm glad that little Wayne doesn't have to go to prison for his gun charge, you know, <laughs> or he, and he pardoned these people that are so low level that have nothing to do with anything. And it's like, you missed your opportunity to set a message going forward, right? Like my last act of president of the United States is I'm going to pardon Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. And what's the, what's homeboy that did the um, Silk Road, right? Um, Ulrich, Ross Ulrich. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, you could have pardoned some people saying, yeah. you know, moving forward, my last act of president is to set an example that free speech should not be punished, that we're going to let these people stand out in the light and not be, you know, demonized for, well, for what their crimes of, I guess, Edward Snowden technically stole and leaked information, which is different than Julian Assange. So, but it's still at the same time, I, I put them in, both in the same boat. Yeah. And it, I mean, and that kind of goes back to Donald Trump, not really having any strong uh, congruent thought to what his policies are, his politics are, his beliefs are. I think Trump believes pretty strongly in one thing, and that is that Trump's the best and Trump's a winner and Trump's going to come out on top. And and so I don't I don't know that I'm surprised that he didn't do any of those things. I know a lot of the, the right wing crowd was really clamoring that he was going to do it. He was going to prove everybody wrong, that he's this great advocate of freedom in America. He's spineless. Uh, spineless. Yeah. Well, he's spineless. Yeah, I think actually that's probably safe to say at this point. I would have maybe made an argument for that differently a week ago, but he he. uh sure didn't stand behind all those people at the Capitol building or try to pardon any of them, which would have, I mean, would have made this country's head explode, but he could have pardoned every one of those people <laughs> if he wanted to and, and made sure now the state probably wouldn't let him do so. And I think that those are uh, also interesting examples and they're not one-to-one -one comparisons with what we're saying today about free speech, but you can see where this gets dangerous or how many of us consider Snowden to be a hero right now. I mean, we're making movies about him. And yet he can't step foot in America. Even if he did get that pardon, he's take a step in America. He's probably getting whacked. Someone's going to shoot him. He could never trust to come back here. And that's just to show you. And in, in the same way, I mean, we had uh, the Black Lives Matter riots. A lot of property was destroyed. People were killed. And then we have it happen at the Capitol. And I think there were five deaths. And one of them was an officer. And they hadn't even confirmed yet that it was from the riot. I think it was a separate medical condition, potentially. Uh, and I could be wrong on that. It may have, may, may come back. Who knows? It's still too many. Or it's too many. The fact is they're, you know, it, it's not like there was congruent violence, even to what black lives matter was necessarily. There weren't as many people dead for sure. And granted black lives matter spanned over a larger area uh, over a longer period of time. But how many people do we know that got thrown in prison for black lives matter versus how many of these people are going away forever for what they did to the state? And when you turn your gun towards the state, you're going to get the full force of that hammer. And that's kind of what we see with these Julian Assange, the Silk Road gentleman and, and uh, Snowden, that you can do something that's morally questionable. But if you do something that's morally questionable against the state or if you do something that's morally correct against the state, you're going to be a terrorist the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just to like wrap up and kind of leave you guys with some food for thought to think about is like do you want to live in a world that cnn calls for new Ma uh, newsmax to be canceled and for parlor to be deplatformed do you want to live in a world where you have the mainstream media the establishment media let's call it the legacy media i really like that term because they're like a relic of an age past right do you want 
those voices and platforms dictating what the rest of society gets to digest do you want the do you want the west coast liberals right like silicon valley do you want jack dorsey and um and zuckerberg what's his first name mark mark do you want those guys um dictating what you can and can't see because i don't because for me those are the foundations of what in 1984 they call it the ministry of truth right and I, I really think that we have to be vigilant and we have to be extremely dedicated to our fight against this creeping wave of limiting speech. If you don't like speech, okay, deal with it. Um, and then fight it in the public square, right? It's not, don't sit there and tuck tail and run. Like if you truly come across a repugnant idea, confront it. I have to, you know, and, and that is where we, we hashed out these ideas and that's how we move the needle forward, right? We don't move the needle forward. And I've said it several times. I'm going to say it again. You do not move society forward by forcing those that you disagree with into the dark. And as soon as you do, you've created the opposition and that opposition will fester and it will breed and it will become, and it will become even more hateful towards those that have censored it. And when it comes out, it will come out with retribution that is so ugly and so devastating and we're going to sit around and we're scratch our heads like oh oh my god i can't believe that all these millions of people that have their platform taken and their voice snuffed out from society i can't believe they hate us so much and we're going to shrug our shoulders and wonder why i'll tell you exactly why because sunlight sanitizes hate same reason why we have uh terrorists from countries that we still have troops in i mean when you you poke a bear you're going to get a reaction uh and i i want to make the point too that you have to make these decisions based on the concept and not what's currently happening. Because if you're a lefty and you think that the insurrection at the Capitol needs to, to have everybody who would possibly sympathize that with removed and that they shouldn't have an opinion, you need to understand that you're not giving the government the right to remove those people. You're giving the government the right to remove people from these spaces. And it doesn't matter what political party they are, unless they write in that bill, Trump supporters, and they won't. They love to leave these things vague because they're going to repurpose them and they're going to use them. So it might be in your favor right now to stifle free speech because you feel like we have a, a Democratic president, Congress and Senate. So, yeah, let's limit all the free speech we can from the other side. Let's shut down their opinions. But someday there's going to be another Republican in there. It might be worse than Trump. And you're going to give that guy the power to stifle our opinions so that you're not allowed to criticize your government or other people for their actions. And we're going to be backed into this corner where we're not allowed to say anything anymore. And it's just going to be the American empire just building eternally. And we all lose at that point. There are no winners. And it is just one of those things. And we talked about this last week. And I think that we can just end on this note. Um, I'm going to implore you guys to actually think about your neighbors that you disagree with politically and Think if you really want to see them taken out to the gulag. Do you really want to see that person deplatformed? Do you really want to see that person persecuted to where they can't hold a job because of their political opinions, right? Think about that. I'm not talking about some Trump supporter or some liberal that was in some blue city, not, you know, that's far away from you. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about your neighbor. And we all have a neighbor that we disagree with in the ballot box. Think about them. Do you want to see that person deplatform and censored to the point to where they can no longer function society. It's just some food for thought and have conversations with them. I mean, I I've been kind of chirping at people online here and there trying to get back into social media. I've done a good job of purging my personal social media. So I don't have to deal with any of that garbage in my own life. Uh, but we're trying to get a podcast going. It seems like a necessary evil at this point. Uh, but all these conversations start the same. I say something, I get called a retard. I then say, why do you have that opinion? They express it to me. And by message seven, we're both kind of going, oh yeah, I see what you're saying there. And the, the temperaments left the, the conversation. Uh, so go out there, you know, embrace it. If you don't have the ability to argue the other side of the argument for at least five minutes straight, then you probably haven't done enough research to have your own opinion. So make sure you understand both sides, hear their opinions. And if they come out the other side and they sound like complete idiots to you, then fair enough, they're idiots. But at least give it that shot. And let's, let's try to find those common grounds where we can. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we're not going to, you know, it's one of those things that I've been just hearing, right. 
this is the time to unite. This is the time to put the past behind us. And I do agree, right? And this is the time, but we're not going to get there by sticking our fingers in their ears and going la, 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 as the other person talks. It's going to, like, this is a call for all Americans, regardless of who you voted for, whether or not you voted, um, wherever you fall on the political spectrum, I don't care. This is the time for us to stop pulling on that metaphorical knot that has to be cut. And we start listening to each other and we start truly trying to understand where the other person is coming from because it's going to be those conversations that move america forward in a way that's going to make this a society better for everybody regardless of your background regardless of your skin color regardless of your gender it is not going to be screaming at each other and saying go away it is going to have to be through thoughtful careful dialogue a woman brother that's couldn't be said better myself (laughs) amen a a woman and a they (laughs) well on that note guys uh like subscribe tell a friend please we want to grow this thing we want to really spread the message and and try to to make this a better country in the future to to really improve this thing so we appreciate any support we get from you guys anywhere you can spread it around anything else you want to add matthew no, I'm good. Um, I'm having some technical difficulties with Facebook. It is no longer in existence. It never really <laughs> was, as I found out. Um, so you can follow us on Instagram at Against the Mob Podcast and Twitter at Against Mob. And uh, I am working on getting up all the social media. Um, we are going to be working on a website. Uh, we are going to, you know, eventually try to explain the uh, expand the platform where you guys can donate and try to support the show, right? Because it is important for us um, to create content, and if it is worth, you know, like a buck a show, um, you know, we'll set something up to where maybe you can just like set up five a five dollar monthly recurring um, donation to the podcast because that helps us. Um, create um not not only really create content because we're going to do that by ourselves but it's going to help us like get on some other platforms and it's going to help us advertise other shows to really help grow this movement so um we would like to partner with you guys um with that being said thank you for your patience because i was out gallivanting around um montana you um idaho and wyoming we're back home we will be back next tuesday with a brand new episode for you guys and we'll see you then Can't wait.